Hello, and welcome to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. I am, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet. Today we're going to talk about how to find credible news. So we're going to talk about the news, and also we're going to talk about how to sift through the news, and where to get your news, and who to believe, and who not to believe. But more so, how do you decide who to believe, and who not to believe? That's what we're going to talk about. I don't want to just give you a list of outlets that I like and people that I think are trustworthy because they could end up being not so trustworthy. But more importantly, let's talk about how do we decide who is trustworthy and who is not trustworthy? How do we decide where we want to spend our time and uh, lend our ear, friends, Romans, and countrymen? Who is going to lead us in the right direction towards a better understanding of what's going on and who is going to mislead us, possibly to uh, very dangerous bad ends? But uh, the idea for this episode, the inspiration for covering this topic today, is uh, it's ample in current events. But there was also a message I got, a private message from Ben Davidson. Ben says, well, as an idea for a podcast, I know personally I struggle with defending these statements against people who believe everything they read and see. They claim my sources are not credible and claim theirs are all true because they are mainstream and promoted by quote-unquote experts. How do you, if it's even possible, convince your opponent, for lack of a better term, to take your resources seriously? Or is there a source they deem at least partially credible? I don't know if it would be a good topic for a future podcast or if you wanted to answer it here. I said, that's a great idea. I will make an episode out of that. He says, uh, in response there at the end, that's what I struggle with personally. All of their sources are CNN and big names of people I have heard of. And when I share an Epoch Times article, my one friend says they're just full of conspiracy theories. So it's dismissed entirely. So thank you, Ben, for your private message there. Thank you for your encouragement. And uh, thank you for listening. So let's talk about your problem here, because it is not just your problem. This is a problem that a lot of conservatives are having. Who do you go to for trustworthy information? Who is credible. Now, I'm going to talk about a couple of other uh, examples of what you're describing here, Ben, before we circle back and we outline some general principles. The first thing I'm going to tell you about is a back and forth that my wife had with a longtime friend of hers and several uh, friends of this friend, people that my wife does not know, but who saw the exchange back and forth on Facebook and decided that they wanted to chime in as well. And the original post from my wife's friend was something to the effect that, you know, we're never going to be able to get along as a country. Uh, Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and progressives, right and left, however you want to put it, if we can't even stay on the same social media platform. And specifically, she was complaining that There's a lot of conservatives who are leaving Facebook and they're advertising very loudly. We're deleting our Facebook accounts and we are going to go over to Parler. Parler is a alternative uh, free speech social media outlet. Uh, You don't have to be a Republican or a Trump supporter or a conservative. If you want to go over there and create an account, you can be a Bernie bro, you can be a Marxist, you can be an Islamist, you can be, uh, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. But uh, there just so happen to be a lot of conservatives that are going over there. And so this friend of my wife's was complaining about this and saying basically that 
that's a sign that our country is not going to be able to stay together. And kind of shaming conservatives for leaving Facebook and going over to Parler because it's they who are being divisive. It's they who are being sore losers. It's they who are, um, you know, not, you know, not doing the right thing. They they really need to be about the the country. And uh, why are they not patriotic enough to stick around and work this out? And so my wife commented, and my wife doesn't usually get into these kinds of things because she's just very um, non-confrontational. And she likes to get along with people and she likes to focus on things that are uplifting and good and enjoyable and simple. And that's a, you know one of the big ways that she helps balance me out because those are her tendencies. I have a tendency to be combative. And when I get carried away with getting combative, then my wife is my uh, gut check, if you will. I talk with her and I say, hey, am I you know, getting too worked up about this? Or what do you think of the wording on this reply I just wrote or this article I'm working on or, or whatever? And I, and I have her listen to my podcasts as well and say, you know, do you think that uh, this is legitimate? Um, she did listen to my most recent podcast in which I use the word twit to describe uh, condescending never-Trumpers and <clears throat> Democrats. She wasn't so sure if that was appropriate. So if you're listening out there and you were listening to that one as well and you heard me say twit uh, and you were concerned about that, just know you've got a dog in this fight uh, in my wife. She is, uh, she's, she's keeping me honest there. But uh, you know, my wife comments on this. And she points out that, you know, for one thing, Parler is not just for conservatives. And for another thing, the reason why so many conservatives are feeling like they need to leave Facebook and go over to Parler is they're tired of being censored. They're tired of having their free speech rights infringed upon. And this turned into uh, this, you know, friend of my wife's friends, uh, they jumped in and uh, you know accused her of being uh, you know you know wanting to uh, use hate speech and wanting to use racial slurs and that's why she's upset about Facebook censoring conservatives is because she just really wants to say a lot of things that are fake news that are not true that are abusive and and all that and, and to my wife's friend's credit she chimed in and said you know actually that's not accurate you know I know Lauren. And she doesn't use bad language, for one, and she doesn't treat people in a disrespectful way, for another thing. And so, you know, that shoe does not fit, which makes this especially difficult because I'm trying to figure out what she's getting at. What is she really talking about here? I mean, why, why on earth would anybody object to being censored? I mean, obviously, Facebook is only going to use their censorship powers for good, right? I mean, come on. Um... So then, you know, one of the, one of the, uh, you know, issues, one of the little micro issues that was brought up in the midst of all of this, because all of these people that hated what my wife was saying, that it was very reasonable, that it was very calm, that it was very, um, you know, straight shooting, they tried to throw everything and the kitchen sink that they could at her as a way of discouraging her, dissuading her, throwing her off the scent. Uh, and and maligning her and just being abusive, which is ironic because you you object to hate speech and then you go, you know, right around, uh, you you turn right around and then you're hating conservatives with gusto, you know, once more with feeling. You object to hate speech and then you engage in the most vile 
of slanders and smears and epithets and uh, character assassinations against conservatives because they disagree with you politically. So riddle me that one, Batman. Uh, you know, it's, it's f- fascinating to me that these folks were getting after my wife because she was supposedly wanting to not be censored from sharing fake news and misinformation. And yet they're happy as clams to throw any accusation at her that they can think of, even if those accusations are not true. It's like, are you really concerned about quote unquote fake news? If so, why are you being fake news right now? And why, you know, would you be just as as pleased to have someone censor you right now when you're implying that my wife is a racist? When you're implying that she's hateful, that she's a bigot, all of that. I mean, come on, get out of here. You're being disingenuous. You are saying these things because you want to feel morally superior. You want to feel like you've got a justified reason for censoring, for silencing those who disagree with you, who make you feel insecure. But one of these micro issues that came up was Black Lives Matter. And in the back and forth, my wife made some passing remark. It wasn't even her main point, but they attacked it almost, I think, because it wasn't her main point, and they were looking for a chink in the armor. But she made some comment about Black Lives Matter being an organization, and we should be free to disagree with Black Lives Matter. We shouldn't have our content uh, that we're sharing suppressed and censored just because we're disagreeing with Black Lives Matter. That's not right. That's not hate for me to disagree with an organization. I'm not disagreeing with the statement that Black Lives Matter. I'm disagreeing with an organization. Oh, no, 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 no. Black Lives Matter isn't an organization. That's not true. Get out of here. What are you talking about? Black Lives Matter is a movement. It's not an organization. And my wife is just shaking her head like, what? Like, where do you people come from? You know, like, (laughs) so she literally, my wife literally went to the website for Black Lives Matter. Like it's literally the website created by the three women and their organization that you know gave us uh, the term, that gave us the hashtag Black Lives Matter, that gave us the registered trademark, that gave us the quote-unquote movement that really is an organization. It is an organization. And on the About Us page for Black Lives Matter, it says that they are an organization. They describe themselves as an international organization. So it's it's beside the point to a very great extent, and yet it isn't. Because in that case, Ben, fake news was anything that my wife's friend and her friend's friends uh, didn't want to hear. It was anything that was contrary to the narrative that they have embraced. So fake news will be a outlet that challenges their narrative on purpose, deliberately, consistently. And unfortunately, the outlets that do that are also going to be covering stories that the outlets which embrace the leftist narrative either do not cover or they cover in a manipulative and dishonest way. So when you share content from the Epoch Times or the Daily Wire or the Blaze or a number of others, when you share content from Newsmax and it is supporting the conservative ideal and it's written with cons- you know, conservative uh, perspective on current events and connecting dots and asking people different questions and including different quotes and different details 
in the limited amount of, of space that's available. When you share that content, the folks that care most about preserving the leftist narrative and advancing that narrative, and moreover, making sure that that narrative uh, wins the day, they will never find your sources credible because what they care about more than objective truth and facts is supporting their narrative. The narrative is truer to them than any blatant, obvious, uh, incontrovertible fact you could show them. But there are a couple of ways around this. If you are wise as serpents and harmless as doves, there's a couple of ways to circumvent and short circuit their uh, defenses here. I think one of those ways is to do exactly what my wife did, which was she went to the website for Black Lives Matter when she was accused of being fake news for saying that Black Lives Matter is an organization and not just a movement. She went to the website for Black Lives Matter, which until this point, nobody has disputed that the website for Black Lives Matter represents the quote-unquote movement of Black Lives Matter. So she went to their source and she took it from their own words in how they describe themselves. They describe themselves as an organization. And she just she just screenshotted the entire uh, you know, phone screen's worth of the About Us page and saved that as an image to her phone and then attached that to a comment in reply to her friend and her friend's friends and hit send. And she didn't even have to say very much because it's right there. And the more you gild the lily, the more you give them an opportunity to change the subject and nitpick some little thing that you said that wasn't even your main point. Like this, for instance, you give them an opportunity to make the discussion turn to some red herring about whether or not Black Lives Matter is an organization. Well, it, it is an organization. It does have a hierarchy. It has founders. It has leaders. It has spokespeople. It has people that you know are, are on the payroll. It, ha- it receives massive amounts of money to advance this narrative of the left. Uh, a good resource for you to read if you're interested or to listen to an audiobook as I did is Douglas Murray's The Madness of Crowns, in which he points out that we can tell whether the left is genuine when they say that they are for racial minorities, they're for uh, you know, uh, sexual minorities, the LGBT crowd, uh, when they're for immigrants supposedly, uh, when they're for all of these special interest subgroups, uh, you know, well, how do they react if an LGBT person, if a minority, racial minority, if an immigrant comes out in favor of conservative ideas and against the progressive narrative, against the pro- progressive movement? How does the left respond to that? Well, what they do is they say, well, that person was not really black. That person was not really fill in the blank. They weren't really one of these. They were, you know, we're pro-woman. And yet that, well, she's not really a woman if she's a conservative. That doesn't count. She's a traitor because all women are supposed to be for progressive ideas and progressive empowerment and progressive ideology. So the fact that she is a woman, we're not going to let that get in the way of the fact that we're going to treat her as if she's not a woman and we're going to throw everything out the window that we were just 
beating you over the head with as far as how you're supposedly oppressing women. We're going to be 10 times a son of hell towards this conservative woman than you ever dreamt of being towards that progressive woman over there. And then we're going to blame you for it. We're going to blame the victim like an abusive spouse. And if you say, hey, you know what? I'm tired of this. I'm tired of you being abusive. I'm tired of you censoring me. You, you silence me. You, you mistreat me. You call me all these names. You're, you're verbally abusive. You're emotionally abusive. Uh, you, you know, you're physically abusive when you can help it. And so I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm going to go stay with my mother or fill in the blank for social media. I'm going to go to parlor and that's where I'm going to be at from now on. Oh, you can't do that. How dare you? How dare you be so divisive? How dare you not unify? Shut up. Get out. You know, are you kidding me with that? I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that for a lot of these leftists, they were raised up in the way that they should not go. And now that they are older, it is very, very hard to impossible for them to depart from it. And what we see in the political realm really is downstream of the spiritual and the theological. And so what do they believe about God? What do they believe about themselves? What do they believe about human nature? What do they believe about the arc of history? What do they believe about the future and what we should be about? What do they believe about good and evil? You know, if they've embraced the ideas of Thomas Paine and of Rousseau and of the French Revolution and of Karl Marx and of Charles Darwin and of Sigmund Freud, if they've embraced this naturalistic and progressive uh, worldview as opposed to the Christian worldview, you have a tough road to hoe in snapping them out of it and waking them up. And really, you're going to have to find ways of getting around their defenses. You, you quote their own poets back to them. You quote their own news sources back to them. And you say, well, wait a second. Here's an outlet that you trust and respect. And this is why I don't just listen to conservative uh, commentary. I don't just listen to conservative news. I don't just read conservative outlets. I also, when I can bear it, and when they're not being completely uh, insane, from time to time, I look at what the mainstream media outlets and the talking heads on the left are putting out there. And then you say, well, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. You just admitted of the truth there when it was useful. And in a couple of weeks, you're going to turn right around and you're going to say that that is not true. And you're going to take the opposite position because all of a sudden it becomes useful for you to take the opposite position. And I'm going to use your own words against you to say you're being disingenuous. You're being a hypocrite. You're being insincere. You're being partial in your application of the truth. And so how about that? And I think for a lot of these leftists, that can be the best wake-up call is when they suddenly look in the mirror and they see what they've become and they see how dishonest they've become and see how abusive they've been in their dishonesty. You know, they've been dishonest and then somebody else says the truth and speaks the truth and they hate them for it. And they need to look in the mirror because the, the best way for them to wake up to the fact that they're part of this is for them to take a good honest look at what's actually going on here. And and you might just see the best uh, pictures of what's going on here within the left if you're using their own words to point out the incongruities and the discrepancies. 
But I would recommend with that, with that, be strategic. Try and aim small and miss small. Uh, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Don't get worked up. Don't get emotional. They're going to push all your buttons until they get the uh, the one that ejects you from your cockpit and that sends you into a, a rage. They're going to call you every kind of nasty name. They're going to accuse you of every nasty thing. They're going to accuse you of bad faith. They're going to call you stupid. They're going to call you immoral. They're going to be abusive in, in a comprehensive way. And so you've got to be prepared for that. And they're not going to play fair. They're not going to be equal in their application of these standards they supposedly have. They're going to violate the same standard that they expect you to live up to perfectly. If you even could be interpreted as having violated the standard, they will hold you to account much more severely than if their friends who are advancing their narrative flagrantly violate that standard repeatedly for everybody to see. And so you're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to be kind and gracious. I think that's going to go a lot further in convincing your friends and sticking to your guns too, maybe because that's that's the other side of the tightrope to fall off of. You know, be gracious. Don't let them get to you. But uh, also stick to your guns. Also stay in there. Be firm. Be resolute. And and use their own sources against them. When somebody is claiming that Black Lives Matter is not a movement or an organization, uh, or they, they're claiming that it's not an organization, they, they do claim that it's a movement, but they want you to think it's just this, this uh, organic, uh, amorphous uh, movement that is just entirely grassroots, and there's no structure to it, there's no hierarchy, there's nobody pulling the strings, there's nobody calling the shots, there's nobody directing it in potentially unscrupulous ways, uh, quote their own website for Black Lives Matter back to them. Uh, you know, when when Black Lives Matter leaders turned out to be trained Marxists, what was the best way of exposing that and making it known to their supposed supporters, the supporters of the movement, I'm sorry. We don't have leaders, we just have this idea. And that's where we're pursuing the idea. We're, we're trying, you know, uh, goodness. What was the best way of, of making it clear and highlighting the fact that these are trained Marxists? Well, you share the video of them saying, in their own words, we are trained Marxists. We are steeped in Marxist ideology. And that our goal is not just to advance this idea that Black Lives Matter and we need equal justice for blacks and whites, and etc., cetera, etc., cetera. But our goal is to promote Marxism. And actually, if you think of it, how is it that you're approaching these racial issues? You're approaching these racial issues from the Marxist worldview, from the Marxist lens. And so you see oppression where there is none objectively, and we're all confused. The reason why you see oppression there is because you're looking for oppression there because before you started Black Lives Matter, you were already Marxists. And so Black Lives Matter now is a convenient uh, you can't touch me, no tag backs, wedge to drive people away from capitalism, to drive people away from the free market, to drive people away from these constitutional uh, values that we have as Americans, this commitment to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness along the lines of the United States Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, and uh, you know, almost two and a half centuries of history. So... If I have an option to either share uh, a video of Charlie Kirk or Ben Shapiro, you know, talking about the leaders and founders of Black Lives Matter being trained Marxists, or 
sharing a video of the founders themselves talking about how they're trained Marxists. I'm going to choose the latter if I'm talking with somebody who is of the left, somebody who is a supporter of Black Lives Matter, who is disputing whether or not, in fact, Black Lives Matter is a Marxist organization. I'm going to share the video of the founders themselves, in their own words, saying, we are trained Marxists. And if I don't, if I share Ben Shapiro saying it, they're just going to say, well, I don't, I don't accept that Ben Shapiro is a credible source. I don't like Ben Shapiro. Get out of here with that. That's, nah, that's your, your fake news. You know, that's what they're going to do. That's what they will do. That's what they do do. And uh, so you have, to, you have to hoist them by their own petard, as the saying goes. So that's what I would say about that. Uh, you know, and I think really what this comes down to as well is, um, you know, a question of who is credible and why. And so, for instance, I had this back and forth with a guy I knew from high school yesterday, Jeremy Hopkins. Hi, Jeremy, if you're listening. I doubt you are because you apparently haven't been taking the time to read the things that I'm sharing about the election fraud. You chime in and you comment and then you say, hey, you know, this is fake news. And uh, and even if it's real news, then it doesn't really mean what you're getting at. And there's nothing to see here, folks. Move along. And so we had this back and forth where Jeremy was doing the exact same thing that you're describing, Ben. He was questioning the validity of the information I'm presenting by attacking the source. There, there's, a, there's a term for this. And that term is ad hominem, argumentum ad hominem. It is a formal logical fallacy in which someone makes a claim or an argument and their opponent, rather than responding to the claim or the argument primarily, responds by attacking the credibility and the character of the person who made the argument. Now, you don't even have to get into the merits of the argument and how objectively true it is or how important it is that we embrace it or act like it's meaningful. All you have to do if you're going to engage in this logical fallacy for an unsuspecting audience is you have to attack the, your opponent's character. You have to malign their character to where nobody's going to care that they just made a stellar point and they just asked you a stellar question. You know, if, if my wife, Lauren, comments on your content and she says, well, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. Conservatives don't want to be free so they can get, engage in hate speech and share fake news. They want to be free so they can, you know, they can say this is how we see the world. They want to be free so that they can argue for their ideas and their values. So, you know, we're not... We're not trying to do the bad thing and share fake news. In fact, we're not sharing fake news. And what if Facebook uses these powers for evil instead of using them only for good, as you're assuming that they will? Uh, well, no, you're just you're just saying that because you're a racist and 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 just a bad person, and and you're rah, you know, yeah, you, you know, it's it's ad hominem. It's ad hominem. And some people are better at it than others. Some people are more clever about it than others. Uh, my wife's friends' friends uh, were not particularly skillful at it, and they really didn't know her from uh, Adam's left uh, ankle. And so it didn't stick. It didn't make sense. It actually backfired. It hurt them more than it hurt her. But uh, Jeremy, you know, he commented, and he comments on my, my share of this video from Rumble.com. 
And it says, wedding was hosted at a polling location after the election. Look what was found in the trash afterwards. And, and what it is, is it's a bunch of torn up ballots in bags. And almost all of the ballots are for Trump. And there is one that they point out that is a Biden ballot, and they think it's in there by mistake. But they ask the question, of how is it possible that all of these, almost all of these, are Trump votes? And why are they ripped in half? And why are they thrown in this bag? And what's going on here? And so this goes up on Rumble.com. Rumble.com is, I think, an up-and-coming alternative competitor for YouTube because YouTube does so much along with Google and Twitter and Facebook, YouTube does so much as a subsidiary of Google to censor uh, content, which is challenging of the leftist narrative. They censor, just like Twitter does, just like Facebook does, not just fake news and not just hate speech. They censor things which would be damaging to the leftist progressive agenda. And so rumble.com is where this video was posted. And it was posted by Dinesh D'Souza. That's where I saw it. I was on Parler, actually, because it wasn't being censored on Parler. It's not being censored on Rumble. And then the feedback I get from Jeremy is that he doesn't trust my sources as credible. In other words, if I share a link from Rumble, well, I don't know who these people are. Well, they're just common citizens. Well, I don't know that that's true. You don't know that it's not true either, right? And there's a lot of evidence in other places that this is happening. Project Veritas did a story in Pennsylvania where they found a whole lot of ballots uh, that were ripped in half and spoiled was written on them. And they were disposed of improperly, and, and they are Trump votes. And then Project Veritas goes and it talks with election officials in these Pennsylvania counties and asks them what the laws are concerning spoiled ballots and the proper disposal of ballots, which are not considered uh, valid and legal and justified and and all of that. They can't be counted necessarily. And the response that Project Veritas gets in their investigative journalism is that spoiled ballots are supposed to be Uh, stored in a warehouse for between two and three years so that they can be audited later. You can't just say, well, all of the Trump ballots were mysteriously spoiled and we can't count any of them. Uh, You know, you can't just do that. Somebody has to be able to go back and investigate later on because, newsflash, it is possible for people to dishonestly discard ballots for the person they don't want to win. Now, what's so hard to understand about that? If I were a cheater, there'd be a couple of ways I might cheat. One is to boost in an unnatural and unfair and unscrupulous way my own performance. The other way is to decrease your performance by sabotaging you. Well, how do you sabotage your opponent in an election? You interfere with the counting of votes for them. How do you uh, you know, cheat on your own behalf by inc- improving your performance? Well, you make sure that there are more votes, whether they're valid, legal, or not, more votes for your candidate, which are going to be counted. So this is not complicated stuff. If there was fraud, this would be exactly the kind of evidence that you would be looking for to support the allegation that there is fraud. And yet, I get people like Jeremy Hopkins who are commenting and saying that I'm bearing false witness. 
That's what's really the problem here. It's not that there's election fraud going on and that so many people are covering it up. It's not that the left doesn't care. It's not that uh, you know the, the never-Trump Republicans don't care. The real problem here is that I'm bearing false witness. This is exactly the kind of evidence that you would expect to find if there is fraud going on. But I'm accused of bearing false witness, and this is exactly what happens in a dysfunctional family when a member of the family says, there's something wrong here in the way that we treat one another. You know, you, you should stop hitting me. You should talk, stop talking to me that way. You know, when a member of the family, you know, and I've read stories and I've heard stories in which you have a family member who is being physically, verbally, sexually abused, and they speak up about the abuse, and then guess who all of the sudden is the problem? Guess who all of the sudden is the bad guy, the traitor? Guess who all of a sudden is being maligned as crazy and as evil and as unloving? Well, you're not being very loving because you're calling me out for hitting you and verbally tearing you down and screaming at you. You're not being very loving because you just reported me for molesting you or raping you, right? In a dysfunctional family, in a toxic uh, relationship, the person who speaks out against their abuser becomes the bad guy to not only their abuser, but everyone who knew that the abuse was going on and just wanted to maintain the status quo at all costs. They become the problem. The person who's reporting on the abuse becomes the problem in a dysfunctional family. Because the one thing you can't do in a dysfunctional family is address the dysfunction. And, and the reason for that is because there's a fundamental lack of respect between persons. That's why there's abuse is because there's a lack of respect. There's a lack of love for one another. If there was love and respect for one another, then there wouldn't be the abuse in the first place. But for the same reason that there's abuse in the first place, there's also an abusive response when an objection is leveled about the abuse. So there's fraud, and why would we be surprised that the same crowd that is willing to commit fraud is also willing to lie about fraud? I mean, it's totally in character. If you're committing fraud, then you're sure as heck going to try and cover for your fraud by lying about it and smearing anybody who holds you to account, who calls you out for it. Hey, you can't do that. You're being abusive. You're abusing our election process. You know what? The problem here is not that I'm abusing the election process. The problem is that you're calling me out for abusing the election process. You're the real problem now. Let's flip the script. This isn't about fraud anymore. Now this is about you bearing false witness, supposedly. I don't see any evidence. The reason you don't see any evidence is because you don't want to see the evidence, because you don't like the evidence and the conclusions it would push you towards. You don't like the implications for what you now are responsible to do if there is a report of abuse. In other news, I had a friend of mine, and I use that term loosely because we went to college together. She was really more of a friend of my wife's, and she was somebody that I knew and uh, haven't really talked with much in the past, what, 14 years since uh, we went to college together in Ohio. 
But she had posted something up on Facebook. And, that, you know, as an aside, it seems like there's so many conversations, which we've just gotten used to starting with those words. You know, somebody posted on Facebook the other day, or do you know what I saw on Facebook the other day? Or can you believe what Facebook is doing? Anyway, we'll come back to that in a bit. But she posted on Facebook this gif of the United States of America and showing what counties and states were red and which counties and states were blue. And she made the point that land does not vote because that's something that conservatives keep pointing out is that all of these Democrats are in highly concentrated, highly packed, densely packed areas of the country and that uh, you've got conservatives all over the place and we have we cover up a lot more of this country than the progressives do and, so, and that should that should mean something that should count for something and uh, she, her comment on this gif was that land does not vote people vote it's like okay you know she's from New Jersey her name's Brittany uh, she shares this I comment and I said do you know who else doesn't vote or shouldn't rather I mean they do but they shouldn't dead people dead people shouldn't vote and people shouldn't be voting if they're illegal immigrants and people shouldn't be voting more than once and people shouldn't be voting for other people because they know that that person's not going to be submitting a ballot so they're going to submit a ballot for them and uh, duplicate their vote those are also some people and some things that, that don't vote or shouldn't vote and yet uh, they just so happen to on the side of the Democrats consistently. So she came back and she said, well, I'm pretty sure both sides cheat to some extent. And, and I challenged her on that. And I said, you know, if the Republicans do, uh, I'm open to hearing of examples of it, but I have yet to. I have yet to hear examples of, of Republicans doing this. Feel free to let me know if you've got any evidence that they both do it. Everybody does it. Everybody does it or nobody does it, so long as I don't have to pick a side and, uh, you know, condemn one party, as long as I get to continue embracing the Democrat Party is really what it came down to for her. She was a Biden supporter, and before that, she was a Bernie Sanders supporter. She said she was just sad that Bernie Sanders didn't win. Now, that's just uh, too bad, because the university that we went to, that we uh, met at, Brittany and I, it was Cedarville University. And Cedarville University is this uh, predominantly Christ-centered college university in southern Ohio that is supposed to be teaching the Christian worldview. And I realize that's no guarantee that anybody who is taught the Christian worldview necessarily is going to embrace the Christian worldview and that they won't think of something else. But I've noticed that with a lot of young people who identify as Christians, that they, they feel like it's very fluid. It's similar to the gender thing. I can self-identify as a Christian if I want to, even if my worldview bears little to no resemblance to what the Bible actually says. I don't feel any responsibility for these things to make sense because deep down inside, I don't believe that objective reality is a thing. I don't believe that that's binding. I don't believe that that should constrain me. I believe that I can just kind of cherry pick. It's a buffet, and I can have as much of whatever I want so long as it's out there. If I want to be a Bernie Sanders supporter and, and vote for socialism, then that's my freedom, whether or not I also claim to be a Christian. 
And it turned out in the very end that this back and forth that I had with Brittany pulled a number of her other friends in who were scoffing at me. They were laughing at me. They were mocking me for daring to have a, a contrary opinion. And all of a sudden, I find myself getting rebuked by Brittany because my tone is not very courteous or it's not very uh, nice. I got, I got accused of mansplaining. Uh, that was fun. And I asked, too. I said, you know, so what is... What is my recourse here? If, I'm, if I am actually mansplaining, am I supposed to stop being a man? Can I self-identify as a woman and then I'm allowed to explain things to you? Or is it just that I'm explaining things to you that you maybe don't understand? Is that just really what is bothering you here? I mean, I don't, I don't really know what, where to go with this. Maybe you can woman-splain it to me because uh, it, just, it just doesn't make sense. She didn't like that. She didn't especially care for that. Her friends... Uh, just scoffed at me. One guy in particular, he's got Biden all over his cover photos and his profile pictures on Facebook. Uh, he, you know, referred to what I was saying, to the views that I was communicating as me, quote unquote, spewing nonsense. And he was just very, uh, just very abusive, just very uh, disrespectful towards me. Didn't even give my having a different opinion the time of day, and all the, the normal stuff got trotted out about being a racist and supporting a racist if I voted for Donald Trump, and da 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 the whole nine yards. And what, what ended up being uh, the outcome was that I got a private message from Brittany a couple of days later in which she said, I really don't think it's beneficial for us to be friends on Facebook anymore. You know, we, we had, it's been a long time since we've had any kind of, uh, you know, relationship in person. And I enjoy seeing pictures of your wife and children. But, um, you know, yeah, I just don't, we don't agree on politics. And I really don't like your tone when you comment on um, things that I share. You know, I have other people that uh, we disagree, but their tone is civil and we all love each other still. And I'm just not feeling that from you. And I, I replied back to her and I said, well, okay, first off, if this really is me having a bad tone, can you give me a specific example of what I said that was so objectionable? What, what did I say that was um, disrespectful or harsh or abrasive unnecessarily? So, can you know because I, I do believe I believe that we have a responsibility to double check ourselves to make sure the things that we're saying and the things that we're sharing for that matter too, going back to the, the question of credible sources, to make sure they're true and to make sure that they're accurate and that we're not spreading misinformation. You know, if it comes to me communicating the truth even, and I'm communicating the truth and I'm doing it in an unnecessarily rough, rude way. And I'm just treating with total contempt anybody that doesn't understand the things that I think I understand, uh, that doesn't agree with the things that may, maybe they should or they, they probably should. Um, you know, that's, that's still a problem, right? I could be right and also wrong in the way that I'm being right. And, the, and if I'm puffed up and conceited, you know, knowledge puffs up, we read in the New Testament, uh, but love builds up, and I don't want to be puffed up. I don't want to be conceited about all the things that I know. I want to be loving. I want to love others with the knowledge that I have and to benefit them. I want to give them knowledge and wisdom and understanding 
so that they are equipped to live a productive life, so that I, I'm loving God by that, right? Because I'm also loving my neighbor. I'm testifying to the truth. His word is truth. And I'm also loving my neighbor because I'm equipping him to do good things and to not fall into traps. I'm trained to rescue those who are being led away to the slaughter, as we talked about in episode 44 on wisdom. But I extended this invitation to Brittany, and I said, if you've got specific examples, you would be doing me a favor to provide them, and I will consider whether my tone was inappropriate or or harsh or what have you. And her response to that was, you know what, I think you just need to work on it yourself, and yeah, thanks. And, uh, you know, you can go back through and look at your own messages. You, if, you can't, if you can't tell what's wrong, then I'm not going to tell you, you know. And I said, you know, okay, well, here's what it is. I've been down this road before. This is not my first rodeo. If you can't give me even a single solitary example where you believe my tone was inappropriate, then I have to conclude that your objection is not the tone in which I said what I said. Your objection really is the substance of what I said. And you don't like that I effectively contradicted your perspective on this and your attitude on this. You don't like that I had a comprehensive and significant disagreement with what you just said. And you don't like the way that you feel. You don't like the emotional reaction that you have. And so rather than dealing with that, rather than owning all of that, you're just going to punish me by making this into some you know, big character defect of mine. And I said, you know, the, the real test here, if this were about tone, if this were about being respectful and disagreeing respectfully, the real test would be whether you called out your other friends that were agreeing with you when they were scoffing at and mocking me. You, you certainly didn't so, do so publicly. And I doubt very, very much, but only the good Lord and you and they know whether you did it privately. I doubt very much whether you did. And I doubt very much whether you're unfriending any of them. And so I have to conclude that all of this claiming that it's my tone that you object to is nonsense. It's not true. You're being disingenuous. Now, that said, you can be disingenuous if you want. You can unfriend me if you want. It's really a free country. And if that's what you want, then... Carry on as you were. Be well. Have a nice life. God bless. And so that's where that left off. And and what this really ties into the original topic on is the, the problem of double standards and the problem of competing visions and the problem of conceit. So we have a number of issues, one of which is that the same standard is not uniformly applied. We do have people who are judging with partiality, and they're not uh, necessarily applying the same standard to everybody. They apply it more strictly to certain people because it's fashionable to apply that standard more strictly to certain people, and nobody's going to call them on it. Or the people that are going to call them on it, you're abusing them anyway, so who cares what they think? You You have utter contempt for their feelings and their thoughts and their reaction to these things. It's an abusive, dysfunctional family. And you were abusing them anyways before they started objecting to you abusing them. And so now you can abuse them because of their objection also. And you're going to heap extra abuse. You're going to gaslight them. You're going to treat them like they're a crazy person, like they're just imagining things. 
And so that's that's a thing. That's a thing that is happening. It is in the mix. Uh, the fact that we are all labeled deplorables if we supported Donald Trump, that we're all dismissed as racist bigots, as low education, as ignorant, as backwards, as Nazis. Um, you know, that that's a thing that's been happening for years now. And it's abusive. It really is. It's bearing false witness. That is bearing false witness. Alleging voter fraud when there's ample evidence of voter fraud, that is objectively not bearing false witness. That is objectively true. We've got more than two or three witnesses to establish a charge according to the Old Testament standard of justice. We have hundreds of witnesses to establish charges. In fact, we've got a whole nation. Everybody that I talk with, I say, did you see what happened on election night and then the next morning? And all of a sudden, this and this and this and this, you know, numbers stop ticking up and they refuse to call certain states for Trump. And then they're, you know, rushing to call other states for Biden. And then the count resumes and it's a sudden spike. And we all saw it, right? We all saw it. And all the Trump supporters are like, that is jacked up. That is not the way that it works. And the mainstream media and the never Trumpers and the Democrats, they want to gaslight us. They want us to feel like we're crazy people. And they, I think, enjoy. They enjoy watching us try and rack our brains for a way to persuade them that we're not crazy, right? When all the while, the game has suddenly changed from us being able to participate in what's going on in this moment and, and being treated with respect and being treated with dignity. The game has suddenly changed from that to us having to justify whether we're a sane, rational person who has even a right to, to analyze these things and talk about them. You know, what happened, right? Like, how dare you treat us that way? Well, the way you dare is that the media has told you it's open season on us. The way you dare is that celebrities have told you it's open season on us. The way you dare is that academics who are radically left, your school teachers who are radically left, your professors who are radically left, your politicians that are of the left, they all have said it's open season on us. And so you know you're going to not only have their consent, they're not just going to stand back and stand by, they're going to applaud you when you come after us. That's the way you're going to virtue signal because if you consider us evil, the way that you prove that you're really good is that you fight us and you tear us, you tear us apart, you tear us down, you gnash your teeth at us. So, so that's what's happening, right? And so, you know, Ben, one thing I would say about the news and about discussions about current events and presenting evidence is there's a certain segment of the population, even among your friends and family, who are going to dismiss anything that you put up there just as a matter of, of uh, routine at this point, because you've made yourself known as a conservative, because you've made yourself known as somebody that uh, you know disagrees with the progressive narrative and the progressive vision. They're going to disagree with anything that you share, even if it's their own poets. I think that is probably the most effective way is to quote their own poets to them. You quote, you know, if they're, if they're acting like the New York Times is this credible source, you know, share a, an article from 2000 that was in the New York Times that is making exactly the point that you're trying to make right now that they're now acting as, you know, they're, they're acting like it's totally crazy talk and where are you coming from? And they're trying to gaslight you about it. Now they might, as, uh, as somebody I was talking with yesterday, 
about all this, uh, they might just say, well, that was a different time. And if they do that, then let them be hoisted by their own petard, right? If they are willing to do that, they're not an honest person. You're not going to win them over. They're not open-minded. And uh, you know, let them be on their way. You're, you're not obligated to you know, go cast your pearls before swine. And you're not obligated to give to dogs what is holy. And you're not obligated to correct a fool. And so it would probably be a better use of your time to strategically figure out who your friends and family are, who are open to reason, who are open to being respectful towards your ideas, at least, I mean, even if they don't agree, especially if they don't agree. And talk with those people and reason with those people. And, you know, for your own sake, not, you know, necessarily to get everybody else to uh, embrace or accept your sources that you find reliable, but for your own sake, make sure that you vet uh, what it is that you're sharing and, uh, but, you know, even if you don't share it, make sure you're vetting it before you believe it. And, you know, take things with a grain of salt. If you find something that is like, wow, this is really explosive. If this is true, is kind of the thing that you want to lead with until you know for sure that it is true. Until the testimony is established by two or three witnesses. And you can justify making this claim. You know, don't take it from just one source except as a possibility, Right. If one person says that this and this and this happened, unless you know just right out of hand, this person is totally lacking in credibility. I can't believe anything that they say. Unless it's something like that, then just say, okay, this could be, right? This might be what happened. And then if two or three or four other places also pick it up and they add details and they're talking about the same thing as being a reality and they're, they're credible sources as well, well, then you start being able to put some some weight on that, right? You, you're able to go out on that limb without worrying that it's going to snap off, send you crashing down to the ground below. But, you know, it's interesting to me, I am considering this, you know, a, a tweet that was, uh, you know, trending. It was, you know, very much in the news yesterday, or I'm sorry, uh, two days ago, November 10th from Kevin Roos over at the New York Times. He's a tech columnist for the New York Times. And Kevin Roos, who is you know, he's a, a known to be a journalist anyway, and he is for this credible you know, source, this credible uh, news outlet, supposedly, allegedly, the New York Times, the, the former uh, newspaper. And Kevin Roos tweets, for the conservatives who are mad about this, yes, it is possible for a story to be factually accurate and for it to be part of a misinformation campaign aimed at undermining confidence in an election. So before that, he said, Facebook is absolutely teeming with right-wing misinformation right now. These are all among the top 10 most engaged URLs on the platform over the last 24 hours. One of them is from the Daily Wire. The headline reads, Republican in Michigan goes from loser to winner after technical glitch fixed. Officials urge confidence in system. Next one is from Breitbart. Uh, Attorney General William Barr authorizes DOJ to look into voting irregularities. Next one is from BonginoReport.com. 
And the headline reads, Michigan Legislature Holds Rare Emergency Session to Investigate Election Irregularities. And what's remarkable here is, again, I'm going to read Kevin Roos's tweet. He's a tech columnist for the New York Times. He tweets out on November 9th in this case, and then his reply that I read earlier was November 10th. He tweets out, Facebook is absolutely teeming with right-wing misinformation right now. These are all among the 10 most engaged URLs on the platform over the last 24 hours. He says in reply on November 10th, after he gets a whole bunch of blowback from conservatives, for the conservatives who are mad about this, yes, it is possible for a story to be factually accurate and for it to be part of a misinformation campaign aimed at undermining confidence in an election. So if you're, if you're scratching your head about Wait a second, did I hear him right? What? Yes, you did hear him right. It is possible for a story to be factually accurate and part of a misinformation campaign aimed at undermining confidence in an election. What he's saying is these stories that are trending from Breitbart and Daily Wire and uh, Bongino Report, these stories are accurate, but they're misinforming people because... They're, they're, they're having people think things we don't want them to think. They're, you know, they're, they're getting people to support things we don't want them to support. They're getting people to question things we don't want them to question. You know, this is misinformation because it's contrary to the narrative of the left. It's contrary to the agenda of the left. This is misinformation because it's getting in the way of me getting what I want politically. That's what it really is about. And so... This attitude right here. Thank you, Kevin Roos, for putting it on full display. Thank you for being so honest, uh, as few are willing to be honest. This same attitude is what is animating so many of your friends and family, Ben. Uh, Your friends and family that say, no, 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 no. That's not a credible news source. For a lot of them, it is not, first and foremost, that the news coming out of that source is inaccurate, you know, on the facts. What their problem is, is that it challenges the narrative and the overarching vision that they've embraced about the world, about who God is, who they are, what is human nature, what is the nature of reality? What is our attitude towards the past? What should our attitude be about the future? And what does that mean we should be doing in the present? How should we interact with each other? How should we organize, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So with those folks, I think, and I'm, I'm still developing this, and, I, and I've been doing this for a number of years, it's still a challenge. And it's an, it's an ever-evolving challenge. But I think part of the approach to dealing with that, that uh, stubborn denial of conservatives to you know be a part of these conversations. I think part of the solution is to get out of these platforms that are echo chambers for the left, which are censoring the left. When Twitter and Facebook will and actually did censor the president of the United States of America, even when he was saying factually correct, undeniably true things, because they had the same attitude as Kevin Roos that a story could be factually accurate and also part of a misinformation campaign. They censored the president of the United States of America. Don't think they're not going to censor you and me. And what does that, what does that end up doing 
to our friends and family that we're trying to win over with these ideas, right? You know, you, you, you share all of these stories. And I, I've been doing it with regards to election fraud, for instance. And I'm sharing all these stories and I'm sharing all these links. And I'm saying, hey, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. Here's another example. Here's another report. Here's another allegation. I don't necessarily know that all these allegations are true, but there's so many allegations coming from so many different places and they're so diverse and they all have one thing in common that there's something here, right? It's not just a big nothing burger. So I share all of this and then I get somebody popping in to comment on one in particular and it's like he hasn't seen any of the rest of them. And maybe he has seen all the rest of them and he just dismissed them out of hand and he just chose to finally comment. It hit critical mass, his irritation with me for sharing these things. Or he didn't actually see all of the rest. Maybe he didn't see all the rest because Facebook and Twitter have their finger on the scales and they strategically place your shares, your comments, your efforts at influencing your friends and family with your beliefs, your convictions, your ideas of what would be good for the country and good for us as people, good for your family, good for your friends, good for your business. They bury that strategically to the point that people will either not read it at all, they won't see it, or by the time they do find it in their feed, they're tired of reading that kind of stuff. They just saw five uh, shares from their leftist friends who are advancing the exact opposite uh, narrative that you are, and they don't want to hear your perspective. In fact, they've actually been conditioned. They, they had this natural fact-checking that was all in the feed leading up to you, so they're already on the defensive against your ideas. They're predisposed against your ideas and your values and your convictions before you even have a chance to speak. And then Facebook strategically gives just enough of your idea to vaccinate, to inoculate everybody else that's undecided against your idea because they strategically place all of this in such a way that they know, you know, after 10 minutes, after 15 minutes of scrolling Facebook, you're ready to comment on something. And if we've shown you five things to get you stirred up against conservatives, then we show you a conservative thing you're ready to get after it, right? You, your, your emotions have been primed for you to go into attack mode and to get after this person. I think one of the big ways that we need to fight that is to just leave, to say this is a, you know, if this were an abusive uh, home life, if this were a dysfunctional family where you're being verbally, physically, sexually abused, you would say, I just need to get out of here, right? I don't have to wait for you guys to change. I don't have to change you. I don't have to fix you. I don't have to stick in here and, and just take this. I'm leaving. I'm going somewhere else. I'm moving out. See ya. Come find me when you're ready to accept responsibility for what you've done. Come find me when you're ready to apologize. I think that's what we need to say to Facebook and Twitter. And I think until we're willing, until, and, until we're ready to, to do that in mass, they have the power. But they only have the power because we keep coming back. We keep in this in this codependence uh, relationship with Facebook and Twitter and Google. We keep coming back to them and making excuses. And then you have the never Trump folks that they never want to say anything all that inflammatory anyways. So why are you all worked up? And they don't really want to take your side in this. They say, well, these are private corporations. And if you don't like it, leave. Okay, well, let's leave. Why don't you want to leave? Right? Why are you so comfortable being here and being manipulated and these other people being manipulated? You know, I, I, uh, 
saw a number of links in my Facebook feed yesterday and over the past week with people saying, here's my parlor, or I'm checking out MeWe, and I'm going to be deleting my Facebook soon. I've seen a lot of it. And my wife tells me there's a whole lot of folks that are planning on all at the same time deleting their Facebook accounts tomorrow. Just in mass, leaving the platform. We're out of here. So long, Zuckerberg. Uh, thanks for all of the drama. And so I checked it out. I, I had a, a friend from work send me a connection request on MeWe. He said, hey, you know, I'd like to be connected with you on here. And uh, so I accepted that. I built a profile. I'm still trying to figure it out. It's a little bit different. I like it so far, right? It's clean. It's crisp. It's a lot less cluttered. It's a lot more to the point and uh, simple and essential in what's included. But uh, I think that that's going to be what it takes. I think, you know, on my drive home last night after I had started creating the profile and I was just thinking, I was trying to turn this over in my head because I've, I've invested a lot in Facebook personally in terms of content. I've put a lot of content on Facebook. I've shared a lot of family pictures and photos and videos and memes and life stories. And, you know, I, I've shared a lot of links to my podcast and to my blog and to all these things and to all these news stories. And I've had a lot of really good conversations with people, I've had a lot of really not good conversations with people. And so there's a lot of emotional investment, not just time, but emotional investment in, in this outlet. But all of a sudden, I got to thinking about how Brittany, you know, our, our friend from New Jersey, had unfriended me. And I got to thinking about how, you know, the reason why she is so caught off guard and she's so unprepared for somebody to come in and disagree with her is because this platform has conditioned her to think that that shouldn't happen, that that doesn't happen. You don't, you don't come in here and disagree with me. Who do you think you are? You don't just get to come in here and contradict me. Well, no, 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 no. That's not the way this works. You can have your ideas. Yeah, that's fine. But don't you dare comment on my stuff. I love seeing pictures of your family, she said, your beautiful family. And so I'll just, you know, I'll still do that. You know, I'll stay friends with your wife, but I just think it'd be better if we're not friends anymore. And what that tells me is you think I have a beautiful family, but you have utter contempt for the values that I'm trying to raise my family with and I'm trying to lead my family with. You have utter contempt for the way that I want them to influence the world when they take flight. And in that sense, I don't really want you seeing pictures of my family over much, or I don't, I mean, at least it's not a, it's not a good enough reason for me to stay on the platform so that I can stay around and you can see pictures of my family and you can feel like we're still connected in some way, but not in any meaningful way. And it's a one-way street and there's no respect. There's no mutual respect, really. It's just you you find my family aesthetically pleasing. And again, you know, as with so many things, it's emotional. You enjoy the emotional buttons that seeing pictures of my family push. But you don't really love us. You don't really love me as a friend because you have zero respect for me having my own opinion, my own convictions. And if I'm right, you're not even giving me the credit for, for being right. So we're, we're not on the same side and you're not open to reason and you're not open to being persuaded. So maybe we should, maybe I should just go. Maybe it's time. And I think that uh, I think it's important for us to, to consider that possibility. Now, I'm not saying necessarily that any particular social media platform is a good option, as a, as a good alternative to Facebook. I'm going to try MeWe out. I've heard a lot of people saying a lot of good things about it. 
We'll see how it does. We'll, we'll, we'll try it out. We'll run parallel for a while. And uh, if it's viable, then yeah, I'm just going to, I'm just going to say bye Felicia. And, uh, you know, same with Twitter. I'm on Twitter. I have, I've got Twitter up right now because there's still a lot of people on Twitter, but increasingly I'm seeing more and more and more, uh, viability in using parlor. And I think we've got to be willing for parlor and MeWe to warm up, to get users, to get content, to get, uh, development resources, you know, because that's really the, the big thing we sometimes forget is that Twitter and Facebook they did not come to look like and, and feel like they do right now overnight. Initially, they were like this. They were like Parler. They were like MeWe and very rudimentary. And so we've got to give it time. We've got to be patient. And I think we've got to stand on principle. And we've got to say, okay, how do we ever win with these ideas? We don't win by you know just waiting, twiddling our thumbs, sitting on our hands, and hoping that another you know, independently wealthy billionaire with conservative ideas has the intestinal fortitude to stand up to the establishment and the status quo. I don't think that's how we win. I don't think it, that we win by continuing to send our kids into public schools where the teachers unions insist that they're not going to come back to school and teach and do their job until we defund the police. I don't think that's how we win. I don't think we win by continuing to play on Facebook and Twitter uh, and let them censor even a president of the United States of America if they want him to lose his reelection bid. I don't think we win by continuing to go back to mainstream media sources, which are willing to say, like Kevin Roos does, that a story can be factually accurate and also part of a misinformation campaign aimed at undermining confidence in an election. I don't think we win by empowering those people and putting them over us and, and giving them satisfaction of a captive audience. I think we win by homeschooling our children if we have children. I think we win by getting our skin in the game ourselves instead of always waiting for somebody else to do it. I think we win by unsubscribing if you have subscribed to the New York Times. Unsubscribe and sign up for the Epoch Times. You know, subscribe to the Daily Wire. Subscribe to the Blaze. You know, find your news in not just one place. Find it in three or four places or as many as possible places. I think we win by getting off of Facebook and Twitter and getting uh, resources and time and attention into building up these alternative platforms so that they can be viable, so they can be a vehicle for cultural transformation because we've got to have our theology, we've got to have our culture, we've got to have our families, we've got to have all of these things as part of a comprehensive worldview. The left has that right now. They will win the long game if we don't step up our game. So it really is about more than just finding credible sources for your friends to listen to. Some of them are just not going to listen no matter how good your sources are because they don't want the narrative challenged. The reason they don't want the narrative challenged is because there is so much built up around this leftist narrative and they can't fathom doing without. They're addicted. They're addicted to the left. It's just like uh, my friend Robert Buckler pointed out yesterday. He said, if you were to unplug these people from Facebook and Twitter and the mainstream media uh, news outlets for three months, you'd be amazed at their ability to think for themselves. But because they have that constantly in their ears, in their eyes, controlling everything that they think and feel all day long, they can't. They can't think for themselves. They can't control their emotions because they're used to other people controlling their thinking and controlling their emotions. So we got to opt out. We got to be the brave ones. We got to be the pioneers. Think of it like that. Think of it like people, you know, and, and if you're an American, 
of European descent, that means that at a certain point in our history, in the, in the history of this country, in the history of your family, your ancestors came here to this country from the old world. And why did they come here from the old world? They came here because there was political corruption, because there was religious persecution. They came here because there was greater economic opportunity here in the new world. They came here for freedom. They came here for security. They came here for adventure. And if you were on the Oregon Trail traveling west, going west, young man, there was a lot of danger. There was a lot of loneliness sometimes. But thank God that they had the guts and the imagination to go for it. And isn't that exciting? That's an adventure. Right? We have a real opportunity in our day to be adventurous about this and to to try some things out and get creative and not just accept the status quo and not just accept that this is the way that it's got to be, not just accept that these people have the power now and it's got to be that way. The only reason they have the power is because we gave them the power. And I'm specifically referring not to elected officials. I'm specifically referring to these social media giants and these news outlets. Their power to influence us is absolutely contingent on our tuning in and listening. So you can disempower them by tuning them out. You can disempower them by not reading them. You can disempower them by not going to that stadium and playing the game with corrupt referees who call it for their favorite team all the time. The house always wins, and the house in this case is leftist ideology. Even the politicians, though, for that matter, I mean, they are trickle up. Trickle up corruption. The people become ambivalent about corruption and self-interested and short-sighted and foolish, and then we get corrupt politicians. We, we reap what we sowed, we reap in corruption and oppression what we've sown in indifference and ambivalence and apathy and folly. So we've got to start sowing seeds for a better crop, for a harvest of goodness, of wisdom, of righteousness. We have to sow those seeds. And I think if we do that, we will be uh, honoring God, we will be loving one another, and we will have a good future. Our future will not be cut off. We will have a good future and we're, we will be delighted at the harvest that we get for that. So anyway, with that, Ben, I hope that answers your question. I appreciate your question. I appreciate you tuning in. And if there's anything I can do more to uh, explain that or anything else, uh, I'd like to keep the invitation open to Ben or anybody else who is listening. Uh, message me. Find me now on uh, you know, maybe for a limited time, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, YouTube. I might check out Rumble, see what that's about. I am on Parlor. I'm also on MeWe. I'm also, I've got a Gmail account. Maybe I should get a different uh, email account besides a Google Mail account. Anyway, GarrettMullet at gmail.com. That's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-M-U-L-L-E-T at gmail.com. As always, I thank you for listening. And until next time, God bless.